is a very mysterious Maisa at the end of Shmuel Beis where Davra Melech in a very uncharacteristic move decides that he wants to count Klai Yisrael he's told by his men that it might not be a good idea counting Yidin is dangerous sometimes usher depending how you do it and David HaMelech understood the way he learned the sugya that what he was about to do was mutter and he sent his men all over to Israel to count the Yidin as soon as he got the results back he immediately regretted it in a very strong way by Yachalev David and he realized it was incorrect the parak there is introduced by the fact that Hashem question where Bechira comes in not for now Hashem sort of convinced David HaMelech to do this against his better judgment Bishanim discuss what exactly the Aver was, what was David Aver's in counting, was it accounting without Shkolem, even which Shkolem perhaps if it's not a good enough reason but the deeper issue is why Akash Baruch Hu brought this on Klai Yisrael to punish Klai Yisrael there was Magaif afterwards David Amalek felt worse than horrible he begged Hashem if I did the Avera why you're punishing Klai Yisrael apparently it was a setup not for David as much as it was for the rest of Klai Yisrael Rashi at the beginning of the parak says he doesn't know why there was anger on Klai Yisrael the Ramban and Parshas Kairach brings down that the reason David Amalek made this mistake and the reason this Einish is brought upon Klai Yisrael part of his Lushen there was a Kitshug on Klai Yisrael and an Einish that they delayed Binyan Habayis and they didn't have the proper push in Esairus they weren't clamoring to build the base of Mekdish. And David Melch himself said, the time is now, I finished the battle, he asked the Navi, Navi said, not you. So the Taina wasn't as much on David Melch as it was on Klai Yisrael. Mishumkach, the Ramban says, that's why Midah connected Midah, and his Vada, Makam, Mekdish, Aide, Anshim, and Magefasim. The Einish was the Magefa, the Magefa ended on Harabayas. David Melch saw the Malachamavas in Harabayas. Bordei Karban realized that this was the Mokum HaMikdash and proceeded to buy the Mokum and this was the beginning of the Binyan. Avdesla discusses at length the obvious question, what exactly does the Avera of counting Yidin have to do with not being forward and Zrizistik enough for Binyan Abayas? What does one have to do with the other? Hashem, Hashem could have picked, he wants to trip David up, Hashem could have picked an Avera that uh, fit into the context of Binyan Abayas. What is Meniyas B'nai Yisrael? What is counting Klai Yisrael? In a way which is not Kalacha, have to do with the lack of concern for Binyan Abayas. 
The answer is obviously going to be important not only for Pshat and the Perikanovi, but for us as well. Because as we know, Chazal say that any dar where the Beis is not rebuilt bears the same responsibility as the generation when it was destroyed. So if we're not pushing hard enough, we have to find out what the reasons are, what the underpinnings are, and fix them. Avdesla says that the reason why there's an insert to count people, what's the danger in counting Yidin? It's a little bit of pikabola, but it's important for the there is no Pasha shot here. What's the danger? What's wrong with counting people? Well, we saw Makhbet or Shia, Semacha, whatever Pasuk you pick, but we're very Makhbet. It's not only an Isser, but it's a danger. What's the problem? So it runs something along the lines of the Sugya of Ayan Hara. Klai Yisrael as a group, as a Klau, has tremendous chusen. When you divide people up and start singling them out as individuals that everybody stands on their own merit, it gets dangerous. So we never ever risk counting people as separate units, one, two, three, four, in order that they shouldn't, chas shalom, stand alone. That's the aside of the Isser of counting people. That's what explains he ties it in with uh, five other Makaris on the mistake of David Melech. But to focus on the counting, Adeslu explains that a person who wants to count people, David Melech in this case, felt his L'Shem Shemayim, but on his Madrega there was a small, small piece that just wanted to know how many Yidin were under his dominion. Which on David Melech's Madrega was a tremendous honor, was a touch of perhaps Gaiva or too much Ishtadlus. When you have people thinking and acting as individuals, you have the tremendous risk and often the terrible result that everybody's in it for themselves. It's all about me. It's all about what's good for me. It's all about what matters to me. And it doesn't really make a difference what's happening in somebody else's Dalaramas or what's happening with the Tsar of the Shechina. And that is the tie-in with the lack of Ratzon on behalf of Klai Yisrael for the Binyan Abayas. They went out to Israel. Everything was fine. David Amalekh was winning the wars. They were in Eretz Israel. They weren't in Gullus. And they had a bummer. Not like they couldn't bring Karbonus. So everything seemed to be just fine. So why clamor for Binyan Abayas? We know it's an Israel. We'll get to it sooner or later. What are we missing? From all the Makaris... You probably heard about today and delved into in the Kinnis. Without a base amikdash, there's tremendous tsar hashchina. There's more tsar when the Yidin are in Gullus. That wasn't happening in the time of David Melech. But there's a lot missing when the base amikdash is not bibinyana. And apparently the people were satisfied. Everybody had panosam. Everybody had ish tachas gafna, tachas ta'enoi. Everybody had what they needed. And the fact that perhaps the collection of all the Yidin together as Klai Yisrael were missing their crown jewel didn't bother the individuals enough. The Pelayayit has an interesting Lushan in his entry on Tishabov. He says at least for one day a year you have to try to stop and listen. Yidma ish badaito kilo ba'aznav yishma kol alfei alafrem ribe bevavus machanes kadeshim. 
You should try to listen to the tumult of the Malachim Shem Baichim Bakal Barama that they're crying all year over the Tsar Hashina. And a person should have a feeling like his heart is sinking. If you knew your parents were Bitsar, you'd do something about it. If we understood that Gullus translates into Tsar Hashina, we'd also want to do more about it. What we're missing, and this is not just from the Valley Musr, a person who doesn't understand Sar Hashchina is not worried about Kavar Hashchina, not worried about Chil Shem Shemayim, that Klai Yisrael is still in Gullus, is a person who's only looking at himself or herself. A person who doesn't really care to some extent what's going on around them. A person like that can't understand how much Ava Kosh Baruch Hu has for them. They don't feel that Ava toward a Kosh Baruch Hu, and they don't feel that Ava toward other Yidin either. The It's the same package. A person who has the emotion that they're looking outward will feel Ava Sashchina and will feel Ava Benal Machavero. A person who's looking in their own Dalaramas will feel neither. Famous Marshal that they bring down on the Pasuk, really on the Sephorno, goes on the Pasuk. Teragnu ba'alechem v'taymru b'sinus Hashem ha'sanu hosiyanu meretz Yisrael mosei sasanu b'yadamari l'ashmidenu. Last week's parasha, Klai Yisrael actually said the word that Hashem hates us, that's why He took us out of Mitzrayim to bring us here to get killed. Now say what you want about the Dara Midbar. I didn't have enough Amunah, I didn't have enough Pitochan. Who in their right mind can say that Hashem hates us and He's setting us up for disaster? What do the words mean? So Safana says, as he does in very few words, Besinus Hashem Asano is answering this kasha, Amash Avadnu We spent decades and centuries doing Avadazar Mitzrayim, we never got punished. So they were firm enough to understand you do a very for a long time, there's got to be an Einish. Where's the Einish? They're waiting and waiting and waiting for the other shoe to drop and it doesn't drop. Finally, the Miraculum come back and they say, we're all finished, we're all going to die, there's no way, there's no chance, forget it. They said, aha! Now we understand Hashem is punishing us because we deserve it. And Hashem hates us because we're Rishayim, because we did so much of a Rezara. And we deserve it, and therefore Hashem is going to kill us. The next Sephora says, Hashem has the ability to wipe out the Zionumas. They believe, they understood, Hashem has the ability, no doubt about it. It's not going to happen. Hashem is going to take revenge on us because we're Rishayim. You finish with this Sephora, they sound great, it's Gabaldic. <laughs> What's the Avera? We have a Bechil Adairis, we're still sitting here on Tishaba because of this line. Besinus Hashem Asano, well, Sephora explains it. It sounds like godless, that they knew they were Baalei Avera, they never got punished yet, they know Yesh Dem Yesh Dayan, so here comes the punishment. What's the problem? So, Marshall, we once mentioned this, I think, here, probably about five years ago. A marshal of a fellow who was uh, caught stealing from the boss in the company. He was the controller and he was caught uh, writing out checks to himself. The boss was obviously very angry and he called him in. The guy knows, okay, we're finished. This is it. Uh, my job is lost and he's obviously very upset. 
comes into the boss's office and the boss uh, sits him down, gives him a little musser, and he's waiting and waiting and waiting for the pink slip. At the end of the musser shmuz, the boss says that anybody can have a Yetzirah in a bad day. I'm giving you a second chance. You can keep your job. Be careful. I'm watching, but you can keep your job. Unbelievable chesed. He walks out of the office in a daze. Can't be. Nobody has that much ava for anybody. So he's thinking, what brought this on? He's thinking and thinking and thinking. After a few days, he's at his job, and he comes upon the answer. It's a setup. My boss hates me because I stole money from him, and he's right. I'm a bad guy. And he's keeping me in the job, hoping that another year from now I'm going to embezzle another million dollars and that'll put me away for good. Not a bad swara if you don't understand what the boss is really up to. He's waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing happens. He doesn't fall in, the boss doesn't fire him. One day in the hallway the boss bumps into him and he says, Yossi, it's been about a half a year now and you're doing better than ever, I'm giving you a promotion. He's thinking to himself, a promotion, I can steal even more money now. He thinks the boss fell on his head. He's giving me a promotion. It was bad enough he kept, uh, kept me on. And now he's absolutely convinced. He's giving me a promotion so I have access to greater funds so he can really throw the book at me. What's this fellow missing? What he's missing is that he doesn't have trust in Abba for others. He can't be masik as somebody can have trust for him. So that person doesn't have Avas Abrius, doesn't have Avas Yisrael, and doesn't have Avas Hashem either. Their mistake, according to Safarno, is, is that they couldn't be Masik, Hashem can have such Ava, that he gave Klaisel a second chance and understood that in Mitzrayim they were Memteh Shari Tumah and they were Ogdev and it wasn't their fault. And they were convinced Hashem was going to kill them now. And the reason they were convinced is because if you don't have Avas Hashem, you can't understand the Ava Hashem has for you. That's the aside of Tishabov. The aside for Ben Adam and Ben Adam Similar remez, Sasemis brings down. Echa Esel Avadi Torchachem Masasut Masachem Rivchem Moshe Rabbeinu had a havamina that he'd be able to don Gans Chayisrael himself. What was the havamina? You come in Pashas Yisrael, it's kind of obvious. You need help. What was the havamina? Moshe Rabbeinu thought he was doing it solo. The answer is, if everybody has Ava toward each other and everybody and everybody looks for the good in people and there aren't going to be too many Dinitir. So Moshe Ben expected a Shaili here, a Shaili there. All of a sudden, whoa! There's an avalanche and everybody's coming and screaming and yelling and fighting. He didn't expect this. So Yisra came and said, such is life. The Yidin are certainly not any worse than the Goyim. They're a lot better. Shouldn't get the wrong idea from Kinnis. But such is life in the human condition. So you need lots of help. This Pasuk is read with the Nigan of Eicha as we did this past Shabbos because this is the Makar of Tishabov. If Moshe Rabbeinu would have been able to handle it himself, that would have been a simon that there was no infighting or very little and that people understood that Abbas Abrius is an essential in Yiddishkeit and that being Dan Lekavs is an essential in Yiddishkeit being Dan Lekavs Chus Akash Baruch is the same essential and Moshe Rabbeinu would have been able to do it himself. Part of the problem, and I speak to myself in this, is that uh, we're a bit spoiled, maybe more than a bit spoiled. Baruch Hashem, life is good and it should continue. 
So when you live in a tkufa, where everybody basically has what they need, more or less, yes, if the economy is bad, there are people who need jobs, but basically everybody has the food they need and the clothing they wear. So then when life gets simple, and I'm not looking to turn back the clock, don't get me wrong, but when life gets relatively simple, so people get petty. And the easier life is, the pettier you get. A real wake-up call. I went to see uh, my grandmother before Shabbos, to wish I could Shabbos, along with my daughter. My grandfather was just nifted a week ago. She just got up from Shiva. And we went to see her. And my mother was there. I went to pick her up. And my daughter was there. She's a Kala. And my grandmother had not seen her in the interim. Things were busy. My grandfather was sick in the hospital. And she walked in and uh, she called her over to her bed and said, let me, uh, let me see your ring. So she showed her a ring. What call doesn't show the ring to her grandmother? She showed her her ring. And then she called me over and says, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you about the ring I got when I was engaged. When I was engaged and married, we had the chuppah in Vienna with ten people in the room afraid for the life with the curtains drawn. In 1939, Hitler had already invaded. And we were about to leave. We left right after the Sheva Brochus. So I said, Bobby, what did you get for your engagement? She said, I got an umbrella. That was her engagement ring. I said, why an umbrella? Very practical. Why an umbrella? She said, that was the only thing they would allow in the train. Anything you were wearing, they'd take away anyway. It answered a kasha I had for a long time. Here's a uh, lady with Mitzvah Shem has many, many more years in good health ahead of her who's had an unbelievable amount of Simcha Sachayim amidst a tremendous amount of tragedy. And we, the generation or two afterwards, get sidetracked and get upset about such, such small, petty things. And again, I'm not willing to go there and nobody here is, but when you live through Hitler, then you have to start again. She said that she smuggled the Leichter from her grandmother who had ran in World War I from Poland to Vienna. Smuggled it with a Swiss diplomat in his diplomatic pouch. Paid him $50, which was a lot of money then. And he went to Switzerland and he was told to mail it to London where they escaped to. She got a uh, letter in the mail a few weeks later from the post office that there's a package here, come claim it. She went to the post office, they had to take it out for customs, and the lady behind the counter told this young Kala, my grandmother, that she's so happy for her that she got this silver candelabra away from the claws of Hitler. This is the British Goethe commenting. And my grandmother turned to her and she said, it doesn't really mean much if my parents can't get out. And her parents never made it out. So you would think with a start in life like that, imagine a collar today, I'm not criticizing, if I was a collar, it would be the same. We're fighting over the size of the diamond and the setting. Go tell her, you're not getting a diamond at all, you're getting an umbrella and be happy. And after that, without parents, have to moved to a new country, they were the last boat out of London with destroyers following them all the way to Canada. Go start again and raise a family and raise Darius Yisharim and have some Chasachayim to boot.
So how do you have Simcha Sachayim with that? The answer is, is that if you think about it, most of our machlokasim with other people are over jealousy and other midas magunas. And it's all about very, very petty things. And when you learn very young what's important in life, you never forget the lesson, you never become petty. Moshe Rabbeinu hoped that in the Dara Midbar they have the Mon and they have the Slav coming and they have the Be'er Shal Miriam and you have everything you could possibly need. Shouldn't that help us not be petty and just focus on our Ruchnius? The answer is that did that to many people in the Dardea. But unfortunately there were too many people who since they had everything they were busy looking at what's going on in the other person's tent. Chaim Vital and Shari Kedusha are talking about the key to success in any area of Ruchniyaz, but on the and on Lamakum. Talks about being Mavater, talks about Achtus, quotes the Chazal, Mavra Midaisa, Mavra Law, Kalpshav, the biggest ticket for a Mechila, person is Mavra Midaisa. And he makes a comment which is jarring. If you had any seichel, you should look for somebody who's going to be mitzar you. Every time there's an iser to be malbim pnei chaver to be mitzar somebody else, we're talking about the people on the receiving end. What's our reaction? So Chaim Vital says our reaction is, thank you very much. I needed that kapara. Thank you very much. I need to work on my midas of humility. And he quotes, this part's not quoted from Chaim Vital, but all the other Balimbas who quote this. If you've never heard it inside or never seen it inside, it's Kadai, the Ramam in Perisha Mishnayis and Avis. Quotes, this is very rare for the Ramam to quote something that's not documented in Shas or in a Medrash. They asked him the following question. What was the happiest day in your life? Most people would answer, my chasna, my bar mitzvah. Amar, he said, I was once on a ship. I was in, what do they call this? First class, second class, third class steerage? Yes, he was in steerage. Couldn't afford anything. He went all the way down below. I was uh, with the baggage. And up in first class, there were hush of a wealthy businessman. And I was minding my own business down below. And one of the people up in first class, one of the fancy people, had to use the facilities. Now, if you're aware, back in the time of the Rishan, they didn't really have facilities on boats. Part of the problem. He came down below and he saw me lying among the sacks of clothing. And I was such a dove of Mavuzabainov. She see Shafabainamoid. Shehishtin alai. I kid you, it's a Rambam. I didn't make this up. The man, I mean, the, 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 uh, 
cruelty involved. He says, I was such a, such a piece of dirt in his eyes. He just relieved himself right on me. So his reaction to Mehesi Mehezchazek Tuchunas Azas Nafshim. My first reaction is I couldn't imagine somebody could be so cruel. However, he swears, Chai Hashem, Lokava Nafshi Lamaseo Klavla's Aaron Menu Kaychi. I worked on this my whole life. I had a simcha, the happiest day in my life, when after what he did, didn't make a reshim on me. This is what uh, Tisha B'Av is all about. Tisha B'Av is about, we think, Churban Bayashen was about, but on the Chaber issue, so we've got to work on that. Churban Bayashen is all the same package. People who have a rosy view on life, who are optimistic, and have Ava, have Ava Sashem, and have Ava Sabrius. People who don't have that think they have Ava Sabrius until they bump into people who disagree with them. Just interview any local liberal and you'll find that out. Right? They're not terribly religious, but at least they're nice people until you disagree with them. Rav Steinman is quoted, very fascinating safer they put out from uh, inside comments from Rav Steinman and Rav Chaim. Rav Steinman says, I quote to you with Lushen, most of the problems in life Gam Adam even things that are about Adam Lamakum, Nivas Mimidas Roth. The Khasarin anybody has in their from kite in either category, when it boils down to it comes to Midas Roth, and it quotes from Abchayim Araya to this, you look at the list in Parachalik at the first Mishnah, the eleventh parak of Sanhedrin. And it discusses the Hadjatis, the lost Elam Haba. These are all men. There are plenty of other people lost Elam Haba. Why are these people on the list? These people are people with tremendous potential who lost it because of greed and Gaiva and Taiva Samaman and all the Midas Roth. They lost everything they had. Yerav Menavat, Radifas Akavan, and Gechazi, Radifas Amaman. They lost everything they could have had and they had tremendous potential. So these are put down in the Mishnah as a lesson, Ladere Deris. The tragedy of a person who's given seichel and given freedom and given the comforts that we have here in America and they lose it or they don't reach their potential because they're worried about the kinder of what everybody else has and what they think they're missing. This is why we know from various chazals The protection that we have is Rochel Mavaka. The schutz we have, lots of love, is Rochel. What's the focus on Rochel? So I'll read to you one source from Yenis and Ivishes. Quotes of Bracious Rabbah, ain't Zara Shalesa of Naifel, Rock Biyad Zara Shalachel. The end of time, the children of Asa will only fall to the children of Rochel. Where did Esav get that kayak from? Very interesting insight. Esav has a schus from Timna. Timna was a princess. She wanted to join the family of Abmavinu, couldn't get in the front door, came in through the back, and married Esav. And she wasn't mocked in her coven, she became a pelegish of Esav. She's willing to be in her coven to be able to do what she thought was right. And she got her schar. Amalek has kayach, Esav has kayach. 
She did something which is even greater. She was the Akaris Abayas. She was already in the family and she had her position. And she let her sister go first and she let her sister, after they were both married, become the Akaris Abayas. The single largest chus. What is bringing the gula? Being Mavater. Walking away from Achlikis. Looking the other way when you try to find out what somebody has for the purposes of your kin of feeding your covered. This is where it all boils down to. A second part. In life we get used to things, which is what Tisha B'Av is all about. We try to focus on an Avelis that's very, very old. I want to first read to you a short piece from a beautiful Misa that didn't happen that long ago. I think the Baldover himself is writing it from a book like a water on a rock. You've seen it. Very fascinating Misa, which I think speaks to the issue over here. It's a fellow here who was giving classes to newly... Um, brought immigrants from Ethiopia to Israel. They didn't know much Hebrew. He was trying to um, teach them Hebrew and teach them various things. It was before Pesach. And he mentioned that there was a carbon Pesach and he was talking about the Aveda. And one of the children raised their hand and he said, um, what was it like when you saw the Beis HaMikdash? Happened a few years ago. So he smiled and he said, I was never in the base of Mitzvah. That was a very long time ago. So another young man raised his hand and said, Okay, it was a long time ago, but when you were there a long time ago, what was it like? And he says, I smiled again, this time slightly confused. He told the student it was a very long time ago. And the rest of the students started clamoring, you've never been there. Come on, tell us what it's like. You must have been there at least once. He tried to calm everybody down and he said, listen, there's no temple. There used to be a temple many years ago. Today we don't have a temple. It was destroyed, burned down. I have never been there. My father's never been there. My grandfather's never been there. It hasn't been around for 2,000 years. I said these words over and over having a very hard time believing that this is so strange for them to hear. The tumult of the class was steadily increasing. They began talking among themselves, arguing, translating, explaining, shouting, as I lost total control over the class. Then the bell rang, and they collected their things and ran home. I left the school exhausted and utterly confused. It's a real story that happened recently. The next morning, I was hardly bothered by the previous day's events. In fact, I had nearly forgotten all about the incident. I got off the bus, leisurely made my way toward the school. As I neared the gate, the guard approached me, seeming a bit alarmed. Tell me, he said, do you have any idea what's going on here today? I tried recalling a special activity that was supposed to be going on or a ceremony I'd forgotten about. Nothing special came to mind. Why do you ask? What's going on? He didn't answer. He only pointed to the entrance of the school. I raised my head and saw a sizable gathering of Ethiopian adult immigrants, apparently my students' parents. I went over to them attempting to understand what it was all about. 
As I came closer, everyone quieted down. One of the adults whose Hebrew was on a higher level asked me, Are you our children's teacher? Yes, what's the matter, sir? What can I help you with? Our children came home yesterday and told us that their teacher taught them that the temple in Jerusalem no longer exists. Who would tell them such a thing? He looked at me in anger. I had to admit that I told them that. We were discussing the temple and I felt that they were a bit confused. I explained to them that the temple had been burned down thousands of years ago and that today we no longer have a temple. What's all the fuss about? He couldn't believe it. What are you talking about? It's a real conversation that happened in this decade. I was more confused than ever. I don't understand. What are you so angry about? I simply reminded them of the simple fact the temple is destroyed and we no longer have it. Another uproar, this one even louder than before. The representative quieted the others down and again turned to me. Are you 100% sure? Am I sure the temple was destroyed? Of course I'm sure. The man turned to his friends in a dramatic tone, translated what I had told him. At this point, things seemed to be finally sinking in. However, a different scene commenced. One woman woman fell to the floor. A second broke down in tears. A man standing by them just stared at me in disbelief. A group of men began quietly talking among themselves very fast in confusion and disbelief. Another woman suddenly broke out in a heart-rending cry and her husband came over to comfort her. I stood there in utter shock. I felt as if I just told them about the death of a loved one. I stood there across from a group of Jews who genuinely mourning the destruction of the base of Mikdash. I understood that this is exactly how we're supposed to mourn the base of Mikdash on Tishabov. Very incredible story that there were a group of community, a group of people on earth that were told as if thunder struck them that the base of Mikdash was destroyed. The reason we don't cry and the reason we're not moved is because it's an old story. So we're used to looking at things and yeah, it's old news and we know it already. What can you do? Tisha B'Av, the one day a year we have it, is here to change that notion. The fact that we're living with the situation doesn't mean that we can't change it. It doesn't mean we're mechiv to change it. And let me tell you about an example that I witnessed as I took part in it in a Baron Lechavero aspect, and this is so important, I learned such a lesson. I was in Yushalayim a few weeks ago, and I was with a friend of mine who, I joined him for a simcha, and he told me about uh, somebody who knew, who was uh, not doing very well in his ruchnius, let's put it that way, a bacher who was really struggling. Turns out he was struggling for many years, and this person I was talking to knew that, and he started telling me the story. Bacher wasn't a Bacher's fault, he's a sweet young man, he had been through a lot in his family, and there were reasons why he was having issues. So I mentioned to my Chavar, I said, uh, he's telling this to me in passing as we were walking up the stairs from the castle. So I said, well, what are we doing about it? He said, what are we doing about it? No one's doing anything about it. It's been this way for four years, and it's an old story, and there's nothing you could do. Now let me just give a disclaimer before I tell you what happened. I'm not any smarter than he is. 
it just, I told him later when he was amazed at the, at the outcome, I said, it's just like Yisra and Moshe Rabbeinu. Yisra wasn't smarter than Moshe Rabbeinu. But Moshe Rabbeinu, as we discussed before, thought he could handle it, and things were going, and they weren't really going very well, but if you're in it, you don't always see it. And all of a sudden, Yisra came from the outside. He said, what's going on over here? Yisra wasn't used to it. Similar Maisel with Hushim ben Darwin, they were burying Yaakovinu, and they were talking to Esau and deciding what to do, and Hushim ben Don, who was deaf, didn't hear the whole back and forth. He wasn't used to the fact that this is becoming a discussion where you could debate the issue. And when they told him what was going on, he took a club and knocked Esau over the head and killed him. Was Hushim ben Don greater than Yehuda? Not necessarily. But he heard about it. All of a sudden, he was thrown into the matzah. And he said, wait a second. Why is everybody so complacent about this? So I was just at the right place at the right time. I don't deserve any credit for it. But I made a little bit of a tumult of the simcha. And I spoke to a number of people, including the young man himself. And without the, the beautiful story, how he reacted, but we're short of time. But uh, Baruch Hashem, he's now learning in yeshiva again after two years. Again, I'm not any smarter than anybody else. The trick is, when you see a situation, the first alarming phrase that you hear about this is the way it is, and this is the way it's going to be, and this is the way it always was, and it's an old story. As soon as you hear that, you know you have to jump in. You'll say, well, 10 people have tried, 15 people have tried, 20 people have tried. What difference does it make? Every... Shlichus is to a specific shlich, just like Lav, Mikolodom, Zechel, Rapis. You have a doctor, one doctor can't do, two doctors, three doctors, four doctors, all of a sudden you go to somebody, and all of a sudden they have a solution. Our Benam Lechavero dictates that we see somebody else who needs something, we see somebody else who's suffering, Leolena, we see somebody else who's in a matzah. The standard response is you ask, you want to be polite, you ask, what's going on? So you say, okay, what's going on? It's been going on for four years, everybody's tried, forget it. As soon as you hear that, you have a chayiv kaddish to try your hand. That's what this story is all about. He never had a meaningful tishabah. He admits this author until this maizah. Because, yeah, we've been through this. Everybody knows it's okay. Fight it. When it hits you all of a sudden and you hear about it, there's a reason why you're tuned in now. It's because you're supposed to do something about it. Unfortunately, we don't get involved because of the, often because of me decisions. We don't get involved because we think miyani uh, mani, false humility. I'll share with you two other maizim on the way back from this trip. I got on the plane, and anybody who's flown long distance knows when you get on the plane, it takes a long time to get settled. You've got to hope and pray you're going to get some room in the overhead compartment to put your things, and you've got to get settled in your seats. You've got to take out what you need. It's a five, ten minute affair, and I finally, Baruch Hashem, got settled, had everything I needed, put everything away. I sat down, and we're about to take off, and the stewardess comes over to me in Hebrew, and she says, Excuse me, Adoni, um, can you help me? I need a favor. So what am I going to say? No. So I said, what can I do for you? So she said, you see that man over there in the other section? I noticed him. Everybody noticed him. He was making a tremendous chil Hashem. The good news is he wasn't wearing a yarmulke because he's not yet from. But he was making quite a tumult, being very vocal about the fact that I paid for a window seat. It's not what I paid for and it's not my seat. And I insist on the plane's not moving and I'm not sitting down and making a whole tumult. So Kiddush Hashem number one, before I even did anything, was that we hear a lot, especially from the Israeli scene, about how 
the Ma'ariv tries to betray that the average Chiloni hates Haredim and doesn't respect them. Well, let me tell you something. It's interesting how this non-Shrom stewardess had to do something very quickly and quickly looked over the entire section and went over the only Haredi sitting there to ask him for a favor. I found that very interesting. So deep down, that means they know she needs a big favor about the Chavera and she's going to look around and find the person who she thinks is most likely to agree. That itself is a Kiddush, I didn't even do anything, I was just wearing my yarmulke. And then, uh, after she points to him, I realized what's coming and she said, can you do me a big favor and switch seats with him? The last thing I wanted to do was get out of that seat and switch with anybody. No, again, I don't take any credit, everybody here would do this. This is a Kiddush Hashem, the primary definition is in front of Jews, not in front of Goyim. We had a plane full of Jews. And everybody's watching because this guy was carrying on. They saw the students was trying to take off and trying to get everybody seated. He wouldn't sit down. So everybody's watching. She comes up and me, can you switch seats? So what am I going to do? So once you're already trying to make a Hashem, you might as well smile. So I smiled and I said, I'd love to, which is a little bit of a white lie, but I guess sort of I'd love to means I'd love to make this kid Hashem even though I really don't want to change seats. <laughs> So uh, I started getting all my stuff from all, I had tucked everything into every single cubby and I had been since it took 10 minutes, I started taking everything out and I asked the doctor to move my thing, she said leave it here, we really got to take off, you'll come back when you need something. I switched to the other seat and I sat down. As soon as I sat down, two things happened. I noticed that the fellow went over to my seat, that used to be my seat. I was amazed. He sat down and fell asleep 10 seconds later. Not the least bit guilty. Not feeling mamish fell asleep, slept like a baby. So that's a Madrega in Rishus already. He made a whole tumult, got somebody out of his seat, and he's oblivious. He just he got what he wanted, he fell asleep. Okay, so that's a lesson of what we shouldn't do. Then I fasten my seatbelt, and my new neighbor turns to me, and he says, quite loud, he says, I don't understand why you gave in to that. The guy's acting like a lunatic, and you've got to give in. So uh, I turned to him and uh, I said, excuse me, but we're here to help others and there are 400 people waiting to take off. And the lady asked me for a favor. Isn't that what we're here for? The guy started squirming in a seat. He's never kind of heard that description of life before. Isn't that what we're here for? So uh, he tried one more feeble attempt. He says, no, if you let people get away with that, they step all over you. So I said, do I look like I was stepped on? I said, is there, is there a problem over here? I said, look what I got. I have such a wonderful, friendly neighbor. <laughs> so that's the last thing I heard from him for the rest of the flight. But I think he learned his lesson. It's amazing. It's, it's appalling that people can, you could be on earth and be living for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years and be Jewish and miss the boat. Miss the whole thing. He wants to know why I gave in and should, somebody should teach him a lesson. I said, I would pay a lot of money for the mitzvah I just got. This is what I live for. We're here to be Mikash Shemayim. We're here to do somebody a favor. We're here to show people Avas Yisrael. This is what we're here for. And he's giving me Musr. Why did I give in? Why did I give in? It's, it's, it shows me that, let's put this in a nice way, we have more positive PR to do about what a Baruch wants from us. We have to be 
Last night they showed in my shul a project, the Inspire film. So a person who saw it came over to me after the film was over, 11 o'clock at night. He said, it's amazing. I said, what did you find so amazing? He said, I found amazing that you can really be Makara people just by being nice. I said, isn't that kind of obvious? He says, I don't know, I never thought of it before. Baruch Hashem, we have Tisha B'Av once a year to talk about these issues. And we have films that talk about these issues, and we have people living like this. Baruch Hashem, I, I hope I'm preaching to the converted. Lamaisa, we should be looking for these opportunities, we should be davening for these opportunities, we should daven that when the opportunities come, and there's a potential for a machlekes, and there's a potential now for a sikhsuch, and for very, very uncomfortable moments, we remember everything we learn in this department and say, you know what, I'm going to be the bigger person. I'm going to walk away. It's not worth it. And I'm going to get them back. I'm going to be so friendly, so sweet, they're not going to know what to do with themselves. The ultimate revenge. You know what happens to these people? A few experiences like that, and they actually become nice against their better judgment. But they actually become nice because it's contagious. It's very hard to be mean when everybody around you is smiling. I emphasize this is not only a Benadol Mechavero issue. This is a Benadol Mechavero issue. A person who has Ava Sabrius, a person who has Ava of other Yidin, a person who has Ava for Hashem created will have Ava Hashem. A person who has Ava Hashem will be able to feel and understand the Ava that Hashem has for us. As soon as we have that, we will hopefully make a small ticket in the original Avera in the Dara Midbar that Hashem is here to kill us, to destroy us because we deserve it. If Hashem takes us out of Mitzrayim, that Hashem brings the Gula and Hashem brings us into Eretz Yisrael, it means that Hashem wants to and Hashem forgave us and Hashem would love nothing more Kavayachol to do it again soon. Bemherabi Amenu, Mitzvah Hashem will see it soon.